Quite a few years ago, um, I used to hunt. I remember one time, a couple of weeks, months ago, I was talking about hunting here in a message, and I said I, I didn't hunt. But I was, when I was really little, uh, I mean, not really, 12 years old, I began to hunt with my father and my, my brothers, and I hunted a little bit. Uh, I wasn't good at it, and, um, but any, and, and I wasn't interested in it that much. But one day, my father took me and my brothers out to the woods to go hunting, and he he, my father, and, his, and posted himself and uh, my two brothers along the tree line, and he told me to follow the tree line on the side, go back about 200 yards, turn, come in about 200 yards, turn once more and come towards them about 200 yards, and kind of chase any of the deer out in the woods, and, and he and um, my brothers were posted there, and they would try to, to get one. Uh, I guess he knew that the best chance of getting a deer was my brothers shooting one, not me. And so I took this task and I walked the, the tree line down about 200 yards and I turned and I came in. And about that time where I was supposed to be turning again, I did kick out a deer and I, I took a, a shot at it, uh, missed it completely. The deer had absolutely every confidence that I would do that, I'm sure. It just kind of walked away. And I went looking for my arrow and when I found my arrow, um, I looked up and I wasn't sure which direction I had come in. I wasn't paying that close attention to it and now I didn't know which direction I was supposed to turn so I turned one direction I began to walk in that direction and after a few minutes I just had this sinking feeling that I had picked the wrong direction so I picked another direction and I started to walk that direction for a while and it didn't take long until I realized I'm lost I have completely messed this up uh, and I began to kind of go more quickly in the wrong direction, pushing myself further and further away from my father and my, my two brothers. Uh, fortunately for me, as I, I actually, I remember I paused at a rock, my hat had fallen off and I picked it up and I was kind of pausing to get my bearings to figure out where I was or what I was supposed to do. And I heard my dad call my name. And I remember the relief that swept over me. He, he didn't wait too long and he realized I, something's wrong. He should be coming out by now. And not very trusted in my woodsmanship, he decided to go back into the woods to try to find me, and I'm glad that he did. And I remember, I remember feeling relief when he found me. And of course, he changed my direction, and I got out of the woods okay. You know, uh, in, in our today's gospel reading, we, we, find, we read that Jesus found Philip. Now, I'm sure when he found Philip, Philip didn't feel the relief that I felt when my dad found me. But I believe that Jesus changed the direction of Philip's life like my direction had been changed in the woods. When Jesus finds us, and then he found Nathaniel. We'll talk about that and the new directions they have and perhaps the directions that we should have. But let's pause once more and go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks uh, for this opportunity of worship and of service. Lord, we come to you waiting upon you. We would ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. You would whisper the things in our lives into our ears, Lord, the things that we should hear. Warm our hearts today with the presence of your spirit, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. Now, quite often, if you haven't noticed, I've said, and I will probably continue to say, that when I come to some texts of the scripture, I have more questions than answer. And today is one of those. And I found that a lot in my life. In fact, it seems like the more that I study the Bible, the more that I learn about God, the more questions that I have. I don't, that's just the way it is. 
There was a, a time in my young Christian walk when I wanted all of the answers to all of the questions, and I still want answers. But it seems the longer I walk with God, I'm more content to, simple, to simply not know some of the answers to some of those questions. This short reading from John chapter 1 has a lot of, shall I say, holes in it, meaning there's a lot of questions that a person might have about the text, and the text has no answer for us. I think we have to be learn, learn to be content with that a little bit as we move forward. I just wish I had knew some of the things behind the story, but we don't. We just have the story, and we kind of have to fill in the blanks the best that we can. John tells us that Jesus is now finished in Judea, which is the southern part of Israel, and he had decided to go to Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel. But before he goes, we read that he found Philip. I love that. He finds Philip. Went looking for him to find him. Um, back in December, I was scrolling through a Facebook feed on my phone one day, and I came across this, this uh, painting that I really liked, and I, I showed my wife it. It was a, a painting of, and maybe you've seen it, it's very popular now, it has this little vulnerable lamb in the foreground of the painting, and it's, it's dirty, it's muddy, and it's caught sort of in the briars. You can tell it's, it's, it's lost, and it's in a very vulnerable spot, this very young, small lamb. And in the background of the painting, sort of in a blurred image, you can see this figure in white, and it has to be Jesus, and he's running towards the lamb. He's discovered it. And he's running to rescue the lost lamb. I told my wife, wow, I really love that painting, and on Christmas Day, she bought it for me, and now it's, it's in my dining room. really like it. it. It calls to memory for me Luke 15 and the parable that Jesus told about the man who had 100 sheep, and 99 were safe and secure in the flock and in the pen, it seems, but one had been lost, and he goes out looking. He's not satisfied until he finds the single lost lamb, which I believe is all of us. And Jesus, before he leaves for Galilee, he goes to find Philip. And he finds him and invites him to come along to him. And I, with him, I, I believe that Jesus is still looking. He's still looking. We, we read that in, in the Ezekiel, the prophet tells us God is not um, pleased with the death of, death of the wicked. There's nothing about that that God desires. And, and we also know from the New Testament that he desires every man to repent and come to him. God's desire is for us. God's desire is for you. He's actively, I believe, seeking us. He's seeking us. All of our lives, I believe, from little on up, God has sought you. Have you ever thought about that? That as a young boy or girl, God was actively seeking you, actively looking for events in your life to line them up that might push you towards Him because He has a desire for you, because He wants you. So He looks and He finds Philip. And He invites Philip to come along with Him to go to Galilee and Philip accepts the offer, but before he leaves, and this is another thing I love, he goes to find Nathaniel. It's almost as if, yes, he says, I want to go with you, but I, I, I got to go tell somebody about this. 
There's somebody else I really want to know about this. And he goes and he finds Nathaniel. Now, I don't know this. This is one of those parts that I, I don't know the background of all of this story. We, we just have what we have here. But I like to think that perhaps Philip and Nathaniel were friends. And he wasn't going to leave town. He wasn't going to leave on this adventure with Jesus with first, without first inviting his close friend Nathaniel. Now, I, the reason why I say I suspect that they are friends or very close is because we have four listings of all the apostles in the New Testament. Four times, the writers give us all 12 names of the 12 disciples. Matthew does, Mark does, Luke does, and Luke does again in the book of Acts. John doesn't give us a list, but we have four lists. And in all of those lists, Philip's name appears because he's one of the 12. But with Philip, always mentioned in that, those lists, nearest him is another name. Now, it's not Nathaniel, it's Bartholomew. And many scholars believe that Bartholomew was another name for Nathaniel. We believe that because the name Bartholomew is a family name. B-A-R is a Hebrew way, bar, is a Hebrew way of saying the son of. For example, one time Jesus addressed Simon and said, Simon Barjona. Simon, son of Jonah, or Simon, son of John. And Bartholomew is evidently the son of Tholomew. Now, many scholars believe that Nathaniel is the same person as Bartholomew, and I suspect that they probably are. If that's the case, Philip and Bartholomew are always together. Philip and Nathaniel are always next to each other. And I suspect that Nathaniel, excuse me, Philip, was a good friend and was close to Nathaniel. And he's not about to leave on this adventure. He's not about to leave town until he goes and finds Nathaniel and invites him along. And that is just so wonderful. You know, I, I think there's, there's, there's an excitement that a lot of times we sense, we feel, especially when we come to the Lord for the first time. And I see this oftentimes with new believers They've grasped this faith. They've embraced it. They've fallen in love with Jesus and they're following him. And they're so excited by this faith that they just have to tell their friends and family. They just have to tell others about what they have found. But unfortunately, sometimes it seems that that zeal, that zest for, for inviting other people, diminishes over the years. We get caught up in other things and in study and in following Jesus and involved in various ministries and all the different things of life. And sometimes it seems as though the excitement that we once had for inviting others to faith diminishes just a bit. And that's sad. I think that we should seek the Lord to rekindle that desire, to rekindle that desire in us to invite others, to tell others, I found something. It matters to me. I, I found something and it, and it changed, has changed my life and, and I'd like you to come along and, and to see it. Just as Philip said to Nathaniel, come and check this out. Now, Philip says something interesting to Nathaniel when he finds him. He, he says to them, Come and see, because I, I found, we, we have found the Messiah, the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. 
Now, that's an interesting way of approaching Nathaniel because in just a few verses before the text that we read here today, we find Andrew approaching his brother, Peter, and all he says is, we found the Christ. And every, every Hebrew and all of Israel in the first century Palestine, everyone knows who the Christ is. It's the Messiah. But Philip's approach to Nathaniel suggests to me, and I'm just guessing, that Nathaniel would be intrigued by the fact that this is the one Moses wrote about. Perhaps Nathaniel was a, a student of Moses, a follower of Moses. He revered Moses. He was very attentive to the words of, and writings of Moses. And that Philip knew this was something that was going to intrigue his friend Nathaniel. I like to think that. I like to think that Philip's approach to Nathaniel was on a personal level. He was going to say something to his friend that he knew would trigger something in his friend's heart and his mind. You know, there's a, a lot of people who are involved in personal evangelism. There are some Christians who like to go door to door and knock on strangers' doors and hand them tracts. And I have nothing, no problem with that. It's personally not my approach. But that's how some people like it. Some people have gone, like to go to, to malls and public places and just walk up to strangers and talk to them and share the gospel with them. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. I, it's not my calling, but some people feel very comfortable in doing that. But there's something about the way Philip did it with Nathaniel that I do like. He went to someone that he knew and he used words that he knew would intrigue that person. You see, he knew his audience, knew them personally, and he approached them on a personal basis. That's a good way to do evangelism with your friends and your family and the people around you. You know them. You know who they are. You could talk to them. And I think it's personal evangelism, personal invitations that bring people in. Matter of fact, I recall a survey a number of years ago. I can't cite all the details of it, but I remember a survey that suggested that most people would go to church if they were invited by someone they knew. That most people who don't attend church admitted that if they were invited to a church service by a friend or a neighbor, that they would most likely attend. That's because of a personal relationship. Because you know that person and they know you and they said, if someone I know invites me, I would most likely go. You know, sometimes it's not any more difficult than that. To pick someone in your life and to say, would you like to go to church with me on Sunday? Or I'd love to see you in church on Sunday. I'd love to see you at our Bible study. This is really doing something for me. I really enjoy this. And I think that you would too. Most people, according to these surveys, would accept that invitation, would come along if we just asked. If we just asked. And the way Philip does it, it's not a stranger. He's not going up to a stranger's door, Nathaniel's door, and knocking on him and introducing himself and telling him to come along. No, he's going to a friend, someone that he knows. It's a personal contact. They're much more safe. They're much more comforting, I believe, than to have a, a friend approach a friend. 
And so Philip, before he leaves with Jesus, he goes and finds Nathanael and says, we found him, the one that Moses talked about. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Now, up to that point, it seems Nathanael is probably intrigued, but his response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, he's skeptical. Wait a second, Nazareth? Now, I've heard some preachers get a lot of mileage out of that. I've heard some suggest that Nazareth was not seen as a reputable city by anyone, and I'm not so sure that's the case. I I suppose it could be. I'm just going to guess that Nazareth, being an extremely small village, seems like a very unlikely place for the Messiah himself to come from. It's, can anything good, can anything righteous, can anything big come out of something so small? That doesn't seem right. We also know that most of the Jews in that day, this is according to John chapter 7, I think it's verse 41, most of them had believed that the Messiah was going to come from Bethlehem, which incidentally he did, he just moved out of Bethlehem. And so this caught him by surprise, Nathaniel. Can anything good come out of, of Nazareth? Nazareth is just a, a small little, little town. It's just a, a small little village. I mean, it's, 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 it's so insignificant compared to Jerusalem or Bethlehem. He's skeptical. I, I don't know about that. I'm not so sure about that, Philip. And I love Philip's response. Come and see. Well, come check it out. You know, I, I know a man who, who told me once that one of the reasons why he has trouble sharing his faith with other people is that I don't know how to answer their questions. I mean, what if they ask me deep theological questions or what if they ask about questions about the Bible that I don't know? I mean, I don't know the Bible that well. I don't know what to say to them. And I think sometimes that keeps us from talking to other people. We don't know what to say if they have a tough question, if they ask a, a difficult one. Well, what am I going to say? I I'll kind of shrink back from that and wish that I hadn't started this conversation because I don't know how to finish it. Well, then take Philip's advice. He doesn't attempt to tackle this one. Perhaps Philip doesn't even know the answer to this one. Maybe if Philip were honest, he'd say, boy, I don't, I don't know. You're right. You're right. It Wasn't he supposed to come from Bethlehem? Nazareth? That that doesn't make sense. Maybe he's thinking that. But if he is, he's not saying that. His response is, well, come check it out. That's a good response. That's a good response for you if you encounter someone, you're talking about your faith, you're talking about something that's really near and dear to you, and you get challenged in a way and you don't know what to say or how to respond a good one is, well, why don't you just come check it out yourself? Many years ago, when I began going to the, the county jail to lead Bible studies, I, I learned early on not to pretend with these men. Most of them can smell a phony a mile away. That's just the way they are. They're street guys. They know a phony. Most of them have been and are phonies. And they know it. 
And so I, I learned not to buffalo them, not, not to kind of uh, make things up on the fly because they'll just sniff that out. And so the best response often is, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Let me get back to you. Let me check on that. Let me ask someone else. We'll talk about that later. You see, sometimes just being honest about our inability to answer questions is the best way. Not, not sometimes, it's always the best way. Just to be honest and say, I don't know the answer to that question. But let's go find out. Let's check this out. Well, why don't you come anyway? That's what Philip does. He just goes right over that hurdle. Uh, Nathaniel objects. It can't be Nazareth. That can't be it. Philip, I don't know. Maybe not. Come check it out. Come find out. And Nathaniel, in spite of his skepticism, maybe he's just got an open mind, in spite of the way he thinks here, he and Philip go to see Jesus. And as they're coming to Jesus, as Jesus sees him, and it seems to me in my mind's eye, as they're drawing near, Jesus says something rather peculiar to Nathaniel. Ah, he said, here's an Israelite indeed. There's no deceit in him. There's no hypocrisy in this man. It seems to stop Nathaniel in his tracks. Here's an Israelite indeed. I, that, that's an interesting statement. An Israelite indeed. Not an Israelite in family history. Not an Israelite by genetics. One indeed. You know, in John chapter 8, Jesus was uh, talking to the Pharisees at one point, And he says, yeah, I know you're sons of Abraham. I know you're genetically linked to Abraham, our father. But, he said, you're sons of the father, your father the devil. And the reason why is because you don't believe. He said, Abraham believed, but you don't. You're not sons of his. Later, Paul would just kind of open this wide open in Galatians chapter 3. And I think it's around verse 7 in which he tells us that only those who believe are true sons of Abraham. Let that sink in for a minute. According to Paul, according to Jesus, I believe that only those who believe in God, who have put their faith and trust in him, are sons and daughters of Abraham. In other words, God is not excited about genealogy. God is not excited about who your father was and who his father was and who his father was. God is excited about those who trust put their faith in him. And those who do, according to the New Testament scriptures, are sons and daughters of Abraham. And I suspect that as Nathaniel was drawing near to Jesus, Jesus, there's an Israelite indeed. There's a real son of Abraham. And, Abraham, and Nathaniel stops in his tracks, it seems, and said, how do you know me? There's just something about that question that he asked back to Jesus that makes me suspect that Jesus, with his words, somehow affected him. There was something that just resonated with inside of him, and he knew that Jesus was recognizing that he was a man of faith. So much so that he said, wait a second, how do you know me? We've just encountered one another. And Jesus' response is, before Philip called you, before he even came to you, I saw you sitting beneath that fig tree. 
Now, again, this is one of those sayings, passages, verses from this passage that we know nothing about. Whatever that meant, it impacted Nathaniel greatly because he said, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. I'm, I'm guessing, and this is just a guess, I'm guessing that probably when Philip had approached Nathaniel, Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree and he was far removed from where Jesus was and he knew that Jesus would have no way of knowing about the fig tree, about this meeting. And when he hears that, he knows he's not just a prophet. He's the son of God. And I find that fascinating. But this exchange, we just, just don't know all the story behind it. And then I, I see in my mind's eye this smile curling up on Jesus' lips, and he says, you believe because of that. You follow me and you'll see greater things. Well, you'll see the angels of heaven descending and ascending on the Son of Man. Oh, heaven being opened up. Now, that prophecy has confused a lot of people, and I admit it's not easy to understand completely. Because we have no record later of Nathaniel ever seeing anything like that. I mean, it could have occurred. We just have no record of it. But what I suspect that Jesus meant here, and I believe it's a call from Genesis chapter 28, the story of Jacob who, who had the vision of Jacob, we call Jacob's ladder. He saw a ladder ascending up to the heavens of God and heaven being opened and the, and the angels descending and ascending on this ladder. It's a calling of that, I believe, and that Jesus is describing, no, you're going to see them ascend and descend on the Son of Man. That Jesus is the go-between between earth and heaven. He is the mediator between us, us and God. And it's upon him that Nathaniel will find the way. I think the prophecy is more of one of a, a spiritual nation, nature. You'll, you'll see this, not so much with your eyes, but you'll recognize this truth. You'll understand it. I believe those of us who follow Jesus begin to understand more. I believe that one of the benefits of, of, of following Jesus closely is having our understanding opening up. I mentioned earlier to Cassandra that Jesus once said, the pure in heart will see God. And I don't think that means as much with our eyes as just with our lives. Those of us who follow him with pure hearts and pure hands, those of us who follow him in that way begin to recognize the move of God in our lives. We so more easily recognize where God is and how he's affecting our lives and in what ways. It's one of the benefits of following him. It's to begin to see things that we could never have seen before, not necessarily with our eyes but with our hearts. Today's text from John chapter 1, I believe, is an invitation. It's an invitation of Christ to find him as he found Philip, and also an invitation for us to find those around us. It's also a reminder that as we draw near to him, that you should expect to begin to see God, to look for him so that you see him. So you might see the heavens open up.
the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, that God would show you His glory in your life. Come to expect that. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for once again for this opportunity to worship, to read, to sing, to wait upon you. God, I pray that you might open the hearts of us, that we might begin to expect to see your work in our lives. Oh God, open us. Open our eyes and our ears to experience who you are. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.